to open our hearts and minds. Let us hear your word and be transformed in our understanding and our love and in our desire for you. Make us a people full of mercy, turning always to you to be made new. By the power of your Holy Spirit, open our eyes that we may see, open our ears that we may hear, that as the scriptures are read and your word proclaimed, may we hear what it is you say to us this day. And let God's people say, Amen. Our first reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Our second reading is from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 15, verses 1 through 3 and 11 through 32. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. There was a man who had... The younger of them said to his father, Father... Give me the share of the property that belonged to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him in his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here am I, dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father, but while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you have never given me even a young goat, so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, 
who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. On this fourth Sunday in Lent, we come to the idea of being reconciled. And we get two different pictures of what that means. Paul paints one of the fact that we are reconciled to God, not because we have earned it, but because God has decided to reconcile himself to us. That he is not going to look at our sins and have a scorecard and go, okay, well, you did this many good things and this many bad, and let's see how this evens itself out. Not because we did something to deserve it, but because he loves. God loves us, so he reconciles himself to us. He gave us his only son, that he would die on the cross to bear our sins, to die for our sake, could find our way back to God. Jesus gives us a parable that shows us part of that equation is that we have to be reconciled to each other as well. The first half, we learn about how we get reconciled to God when we have messed up. Because we hear about a son who has gone astray. He said, you know what, I want to go live my life. I want to do what I want. I would like my inheritance now. And I'm going to be on my way. And so he takes it and he goes. And soon he spent everything and he has nothing left and he is working in a field tending someone's pigs. So there he is, an unclean person, feeding unclean animals, starving in a country that's not his own. And eventually he comes to his senses and goes, all right, look, my dad's got plenty of people that work for him. I may not be able to say that I deserve to be called his son, but I can work. Surely he can call me his servant. And he heads home to be reconciled with his father, repeating to himself what he plans on saying. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve to be called your son, but I will serve you if you will give me work. Before he gets there, before he has the chance to say it, his father sees him. And he goes, quick, it's my son. He rushes to him and the son delivers the rehearsed line to say that I don't deserve anything. I have wronged you before God. And the father says, oh, don't worry about it. Put a robe on his back, put sandals on his feet, put a ring on his finger. Let us prepare a feast so we can celebrate. When we are reconciled to God, God isn't looking at what it is we've been doing so that he can say, oh, here's all these things you messed up. He's looking for us to go, I know I don't deserve this, but I'd like to come home. And God says, of course, I've been waiting for you. 
I've messed up a lot. I don't deserve this. And God says, you could never earn the love that I have already given you. Come in. There's going to be a feast in your honor because you were lost and now you're found. You were dead and now you're alive. Because we die a death to sin. And we live a life in Christ. Now it would be easy to stop here. It would be easy to go, yep, and that's what we do and that's how we do it and we're good. Everybody go home. Lesson's done. However, we still have the other half of this story. Because we still have another brother. And this is the part that I think trips us up more than anything. I think it's easy for us to go, yep, God's going to let me back in. God's going to be there for me. I've got this. We can be the younger brother. We're probably a little too good at being the younger brother. But we forget about all those times that we find ourselves in the position of the older brother. The older brother decides that he wants nothing to do with this business. This brother of his came back, he had squandered everything, and he just waltzes back in, and they have a feast for him. After everything he's done, after all the trouble he's caused, why should we celebrate for him? The older brother reminds us that part of being reconciled to God is being reconciled to one another. And that's the harder part of what we do. When Paul tells us that we no longer have a human point of view, that we see things the way God sees us, that we see things in Christ, it also means that we see each other the way that Christ sees us. And we know that the way Christ sees us is, I don't know that you've ever done anything to deserve. I don't know that you could ever do anything to make Christ pick up his cross to die in shame, taking up our sins. I can't think of anything I have done to deserve that love and that kind of sacrifice. But I readily accept it. I am more than eager to embrace that kind of forgiveness. But if I do... It means that not only do I embrace that I can be forgiven, it means that I have to embrace that I must forgive. The problem with the older brother is that the younger brother is lost and found and he comes home and the older brother doesn't even refer to him as his brother. When he talks to his dad, this son of yours was off spending everything that he took from you well, I was here following the rules, doing everything you wanted me to do, and you didn't do anything for me. The father's response tells us a lot about the older brother. The older brother is basically saying, look, I've been trying to do everything right, and you want to bring these people in? You want to bring this son of yours in that has done everything wrong, why I've been trying to do everything right. 
But the father responds by going, you never asked me for anything. I divided up the inheritance between the two of you. This is all yours. You're here with me and you have this at your disposal all the time. You want to celebrate with your friends? Why didn't you ask? You want me to rejoice over you? I rejoice over you every day. The older brother never took the responsibility to go out and look for his brother. He never said, you know what, he's been gone a while. I'm kind of worried that maybe we shouldn't have let him go. Maybe I should find him and bring him back. There was never a, let me send out somebody to go check and see how he's doing. The older brother was so caught up in worrying about himself and worrying about doing what was expected that he never thought about doing what was right or asking for anything for himself or thinking of anything besides trying to get things right. And he's so caught up in trying to get things right that he wants to refuse to be invited to the feast. Because if going to the feast means that he has to share it with somebody unworthy, he would rather just wait outside. He refuses to be reconciled to his brother. And in doing so, rejects his father. The second half of this parable is the more difficult part because too often we get caught up in saying, well, if I've done everything right, I don't want to share what I've got with people who messed everything up. I don't want to have to forgive someone who's done nothing but wrong to me but comes back and says, look, I'm trying to get things in order. But Christ shows us that when we reject people who are trying to turn things around, it's like we're rejecting Christ. Because Christ didn't turn us away when we were sinners searching for a way out and He died for us on a cross that He didn't deserve. He didn't stop and say, well, you know what? I've done nothing wrong. I don't need to suffer for these people who can't seem to follow the rules. No, Christ's mercy is so overflowing, the example he gives us is that even in the midst of suffering, he forgives the people who are causing him to suffer. Christ seizes the moment. One of the things that we reflect on in Lent as we think about Christ's death and his resurrection, is our own place in that death and that resurrection. And we are reminded that we are mortals. That this body will perish. Which means that we don't know how much time we have to make things right. We don't know how much time we have to be reconciled. We don't know how much time we have to make things right with each other. So if the question is, but when should I do this? The answer is now. Now is the one moment we have that we know we have. I don't know what's going to happen 
10 minutes from now, 10 days from now, 10 years from now. But I know what I have now. And right now I've got a God who is willing to suffer on my behalf so that I could live. And I've got a chance to make things right with people that I've wronged. And I've got a chance to apologize for things that I didn't even know I did. And I've got a chance to forgive people that haven't even sought forgiveness. Because I've got the chance to be reconciled to them so that I can reconcile myself to God to say, I want to forgive and I want to be forgiven. And I want to be able to forgive people who wrong me in the moment they're wronging me. Somebody punches me in the face, I want to stand up and say, I forgive you for what you've done. Because I want to walk the path that my Savior took. I want to be able to love the way that God has loved me, not seeking that somebody else justifies my love, but love because I can. And I want to forgive as soon as possible so I don't have that weight bearing down on me, but I have the gift of love that I can give and the forgiveness that should be on my tongue every moment of every day because I know how badly I want to be forgiven. I know how much I want to be able to let go of the mistakes that I've made. When we are reconciled with one another, we are reconciled to God because we share in that love that we seek to find. We give in order that we may receive so that we may give more freely. And we receive a gift that we can pay no price for, but that we can share with every single person that we meet. We may be reconciled to one another. That we may find hope and we may find peace and that we may create peace. In a world so desperately broken, in a world in desperate need of love, May we be that love and be that peace. May we walk in the example that Christ showed us. That we may be one with Christ, one in the Lord, and one in love with each other. Amen.